Today we're going to talk about the epidemic of people stopping things right before those things got interesting. And most importantly, we're going to talk about how to build yourself a structure that'll push you right on through that strong instinct to stop. But first, we've got to talk about the Splash Mountain problem. When I was 10, my parents took the family to Disney World. We'd gone when I was younger, but I was afraid of the dark and my sister was afraid of the water, which didn't leave many rides for us to go on. Really, just one, the teacups. After about 10 consecutive nauseating trips on spinning teacups, my parents realized that maybe they could bring us to that brunch with all the Disney characters. But it turns out the only thing scarier to me than the dark was a seven-foot tiger named Tigger trying to hug me. My parents don't remember that trip all that fondly. But a few years later, we went back. This time, my sister was 12 and I was 10. She told her friends we were going to Disney, and she couldn't possibly come back without telling them that we went on the three big mountain rides, Splash, Space, and Thunder. I was excited because I was pretty timid by nature, and this was my chance to beat that, to go on a roller coaster, to be the type of kid who went on a roller coaster, to tell all my friends I went on a roller coaster. I got myself all primed up to do it, but dread immediately set in the moment we stepped on line for Splash Mountain. My mind raced. How had I gotten myself into this? What if we crashed? What if there was a malfunction? What if my safety bar popped open and that picture they take of you during the big drop just showed me sailing off into the sky before eventually splattering down on the pavement next to the funnel cakes? They squeezed us into those wet logs and I would have given anything to be back on dry land, spinning in my beloved teacups. At 10, I was already nearly six feet tall, but only weighed about 100 pounds. My grandpa used to say my feet, hands, and ears were in some sort of accelerated program that the rest of my body hadn't joined yet. The safety bar clicked into place so far above my knees that you could have comfortably fit another two or three Brian's on my lap. I frantically looked for some authority figure to notice and stop the ride, but instead all I got was a teenage ride technician dressed in what we all know now as a wildly racially insensitive outfit, pressing the button that released the log and sent me to what I was sure would be a watery grave. I made it through the first of the few smaller drops, but eventually found myself on the lead up to the big one. Our log clacked up the mountain, problematic animated animals everywhere warning us that we were about to crash into a briar patch, my hands gripping the bar so tightly my knuckles hurt. Then, with maybe half the climb left, I saw a lifeboat, my escape. There was a barely perceptible sign outside of the ride that said, emergency exit, and there was a staircase that led to an exit sign. There it was. I could just pop out and leave. I'd live. My mom's been able to read my mind since I was a kid. She can do it to this day. So when I looked over at her immediately after seeing the sign, she simply shook her head. Nope. And over the side of the mountain we went. My stomach flew up into my throat and a few seconds later we splashed down to calm water, the four of us cackling hysterically. We went on Splash, Space, and Thunder Mountain a dozen times over the next two days, two of the most fun days of my life. We work with a lot of people with startup ideas, hundreds and hundreds of them. If you count all the people with startup ideas we've coached informally, it's almost certainly in the thousands. I can say confidently that 90% of them bail at the top of the mountain. Right before things are about to get interesting, they take the escape door. Why? It's simple. The difference between Splash Mountain and entrepreneurship is that as an entrepreneur, the ride is taking you to the exit sign. Life makes it easier to stop or to broaden your focus to choose another idea. Anything to avoid whatever's on the other side of that mountain. Entrepreneurs have to actively choose to go over the mountain, which is crazy. The entrepreneurship drop is scary because it's unknown. 
and also subconsciously because we all know it's not supposed to work. We hear all the time about how most startups fail. If 85% of Splash Mountain riders ended up flying off the mountain, no one would go on the ride. So these entrepreneurs that are so close to something just sabotage themselves right before they're about to really start. Never give themselves a chance. Today, we'll introduce a structure that's got three ways to avoid that, to make sure you reach your idea's potential and your potential without taking the exit. After, a little smooth jazz. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, a monthly membership program that provides structure, strategy, and network for entrepreneurs testing and building their startup ideas on the side. We help you flesh out and test your idea so you can understand and begin to reach its potential before you quit your job to work on it full time. It's our new product we mentioned the past few weeks, and we'll mention it again because I am absurdly proud of it. We put everything we learned from seven years helping over 350 idea stage entrepreneurs build businesses that are now worth over a billion dollars into this program. It's a clear step-by-step path with target metrics that'll take you from idea to product. It's the thing I would have killed for when I was a fresh-faced entrepreneur with a job trying to make progress in the margins, which is, by the way, why we built it. There are no cohorts for the Tacklebox membership. You can join anytime. But for anyone that starts before the end of January, you'll get 40% off the monthly cost for life, about $200 a month. We're going to launch 250 businesses this year, and one of them might as well be yours. Head to gettacklebox.com and use the code BUILD in 2022 to start and get the discount. And if you do, I'll see you on Wednesday for our one-on-one strategy session. Back to it. We had a founder go through Tacklebox about a year ago with a really interesting idea. They'd had a miscarriage at about 11 weeks and had been understandably heartbroken and grief-stricken. They'd looked for some sort of counseling or therapy or something specific to this type of experience and found either low-touch, unspecific solutions like Talkspace or groups for grief therapy where people had lost a toddler or a middle schooler or something that felt wholly unrelatable. Eventually, they put a social media post up about the experience and got tons of responses from people in similar situations. Mostly because a miscarriage simply isn't rare. For women without symptoms, the likelihood of a miscarriage at 6 to 11 weeks is just under 2%. For context, 2% of people in the U.S. have red hair. If you have 50 friends and they have on average 2 to 3 kids, there's going to be a handful of people that experience it. Not to mention the people that experience a miscarriage after symptoms or earlier in their pregnancy. For something not talked about much, it happens a lot. The social media post confirmed that as the entrepreneur ended up getting roughly 100 emails from people that saw the post and wanted to help. And just having that community, speaking with people that went through it, was an immense lift. A bit more customer research confirmed what we already knew. This was a serious problem and there was no formal support system to solve it. But there are a lot of really hard problems out there, a lot of important ones. Doesn't mean there's a solution that makes sense to build. So we ran some tests to see if we could acquire users, to see if we could get people to give their email in search of a solution. When you Google what to do after a miscarriage, all the responses literally just give you health instructions on what to do if you have one. Which is important, of course, but not what most people are searching for. We started paying for our website to show up there with messaging around how to cope, and the emails began pouring in. This turned into an initial product, which was a walk in the park, literally. A therapist focused on that space would take a group of women who'd recently had a miscarriage on a walk in Prospect Park in Brooklyn, letting them all talk about their experiences and suggesting practices and ways to cope. 
These walks were packed. The reviews were fantastic. The women became friends. This was helping. Then the founder sent me an email. I've been speaking with some of these women and I think there's an opportunity for a health drink supplement during pregnancy, like a shake regimen or something. I'm gonna run some customer interviews and likely pivot to that. Um, what? I have no idea how to add sounds into podcasts, but if I knew how to do it, I would do that record screech sound. I was shocked. We'd found a problem and we were running tests and doing the one thing you need to do with a first product, which is giving your customers superpowers. You were giving them connection, expertise, and the ability to start healing. An unheard of amount of value for version one. When we talked about it, she said, yeah, I mean, it's working, but it's a tough customer segment. And what, are we just gonna keep running walks forever? And what if people churn? This just doesn't scale. I really think shakes are a better bet. This sort of thing happens a lot. Our entrepreneurs fight through some early tough stuff and find a problem that needs solving, or at least one that's close. It's rough around the edges, but it's got potential. And then they stop abruptly. What's that about? We've thought about this for years at Tacklebox because it really does happen all the time. Talented founders with promising ideas and early traction just stop. And sure, there are some people who just want to play startup. They were always going to bail when the stakes got high, but I can read people by now, and lots of these people did not have that in mind when they started. They wanted to solve this problem, and they are capable. So what is going on? We've come up with a theory we call the potential scale. Every founder that bails does so after they've got a few hard data points. When your idea is just an idea, it's all potential. It could be this, it could be that, anything under the sun. There's no way to tell. Your idea is 100% potential. But when you run a test like our entrepreneur in the story, suddenly you've got data. You know that it took you 10 hours to organize the group, it cost $300 to reserve the therapist, 20 people signed up, but only 10 showed, they paid on site, and you made 75 bucks. And then it was over, and you were tired, and what did you have? $75, a few people that maybe got some help, and a dramatic shift in the potential scale. Suddenly, it's not all potential. It's not rainbows and butterflies. It's a full week of work for 75 bucks and a wasted Sunday. It's the opposite of light potential. It's heavy reality, a tough road ahead. But that shake idea, that baby's all potential. Maybe we should just do that. I could do 20 podcasts on the societal harm Facebook slash Meta has done. They're truly the cartoon villains of our time, and in 20 years, maybe 10, maybe 5, maybe already, they'll be recognized that way. But for today's pod, we're going to focus on one little bit of harm that they've done. Their origin story. That story you've heard of Mark making a website and it crashing from traffic overnight. Of people beating down the door of him turning down a billion dollars from Yahoo like 18 months in, of the whole theatrical nature of that meteoric rise, which literally became a movie, of how easy it all seemed. The thing that most of our entrepreneurs say when they take that exit right before the mountain is that they aren't seeing customers go crazy over what they've built. It's hard to get customers. It's hard to convince them to buy. They no-show. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to. And I know by supposed to, they mean like Facebook or whatever other startup got oversubscribed or had their site shut down or some other BS thing that happened from all the traffic and all the interest. They feel inadequate. They couldn't cut it. An entrepreneur is a mythical figure, someone who reads trends and wears black turtlenecks and doesn't wear a belt and walks on water. And now they've got this data point shouting at them that says, hey, that ain't you. Maybe in another space it will be. Maybe the shakes will create the magic, but they're not here. 
data points, the things that are supposed to be the lifeblood of your startup, end up making you feel inadequate. And we lose way too many businesses that could have been great from that. Luckily, we've come up with a cure. It's a three-step process to remove that doubt. Doubt has killed more startups than competition or lack of funding or team ever could. And the opposite of doubt is clarity. So we need to search for that. The first piece of clarity is around what a startup should feel like in the early days. And the answer is Super Mario Brothers. Remember when you played Super Mario Brothers growing up? Remember the first time you played? Or if you can't remember that, remember the first time you gave the controller to your parents and they played? And they moved their whole body when they wanted Mario to jump and ran directly into every bad guy? That's everything in life. You stink when you start, hilariously so. And each time you do it, you stink slightly less. You learn where the mushrooms are and how to kick the turtle shells, and in a week or two, you beat the first level. By week 10, you can beat level one with your eyes closed, but you're struggling through level five, specifically with one jump, and you've tried 100 things, and eventually you'll solve it, and then you'll move on. My friend's mom broke her leg when we were in middle school. She went from comically bad to beating the whole Mario game during her recovery. Stuff like this just takes time. And that is entrepreneurship. Daily puzzles and challenges. Hard ones that take a while to solve. You won't be entrepreneurship on the first day or week or month or year, and you're not supposed to. But the longer you stick to it, the more drastically you'll separate yourself. I traveled to Iceland a few years back and did all the standard waterfall hikes. Each had a waterfall, then a 5-10 to 10 mile hike loop off into the mountains behind it with lots of other waterfalls. The main waterfall next to the parking lot would be absolutely jammed. 250 yards down the hiking trail, there'd be 70% fewer people. A mile down the trail, you were alone. Brilliant waterfalls, all to yourself. Mediocrity is in a rush. Most people are in a rush. You can't be. The second thing is about the most important skill an entrepreneur can have. Choice. Moving forward early on is scary because there are so many potential choices. There are so many different paths you could go down. For the entrepreneur we talked about today, she could keep running those sessions, or she could pivot to try to build a digital product to connect people, or she could build a protocol for therapists, or she could go down the telehealth therapeutics route, or the nutrition path, or solve some other problem that came up during all the conversations she had with customers. The more you learn about your customer, the more you realize you don't know anything about your customer. But you've got to choose a path while knowing fully well that this might be the wrong choice long term. You need to say, I'm going to run six events over the next six weeks and I'm not going to let anything else distract me. I'm going to try to acquire 10 people for each event. I'll try a bunch of different ways to find them. I'll measure which works best, do follow-up interviews with each customer, and at the end of the six weeks, regroup and make a decision. You need to give yourself the opportunity to go heads down for a while and learn, a chance to beat the level. There's a practice we talk about a lot at Tacklebox, where you can make one decision that allows you to bypass 1,000 subsequent decisions. If every day you're questioning what other paths you could be on, you'll never get far enough down any road to have any real insight. It'd be like starting playing Mario, but then switching to Days of Thunder, and then Sonic, and then Zelda. You never get anywhere in any of them. I've talked about entrepreneurs being museum creators. You've got a thousand paintings in storage, but you've only got one space on the wall, and you've got to pick. Choose, time box, get data, make a decision. That is the path that will give you clarity. Third is knowing what's going to happen. With all the startup content out there, there's a massive gap in knowledge around what actually happens when an idea has promise. So some people got value out of those walks in Prospect Park. Now what? What's going over the mountain actually look like? 
Humans overvalue potential downside and undervalue potential upside. So when we're deciding whether it's worth moving on or not, if we don't know what the upside is, we'll let our mind run wild with the downside and never move forward. So here's what'll likely happen. If our founder spent six weeks running these tests, she'd learn a few things. First, do people want to come back? What's the real value they get from these walks? How does this help the therapist? How expensive is it to acquire customers? How much can she charge? She'd spend some time making the process easier on herself. The first time through would be hard. The second and third would let her know what was truly important. She'd start automating or removing what wasn't until she could run the sixth event with maybe only an hour of prep. She'd end up with more clarity around what type of business this could be, which is a combination of what can be outsourced, what scales, how much do customers cost, and what's their lifetime value. Then, could you grow horizontally or vertically? Finally, this would allow her to gauge whether this was the type of business she wanted to run. Then she'd be able to define the next level and go for it. That could be more tests to get more clarity. That could be raising 250K with this test as background data to quit her job and do it full time. Or she could quit the idea altogether with a full understanding of what she'd had and what she was quitting. It's going to take pivots on average five until you get to the right thing. Your skill needs to be to stay alive and focused until you get there. More people Googled how to start a business in 2021 than how to get a job. You might even be one of them. Don't bail right as it's getting interesting. And if you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and you want some help with all this stuff, join the Tacklebox membership. We'll get you through it. Head to gettacklebox.com. Have a great week.